shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakeland, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, here we go, and this is the Thanksgiving edition of Inside EMS. I want to be uh, thankful for everybody out there who loves to listen to the show. But even more importantly, the person that I want to be the most thankful for is my good friend, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm great. And I'm thankful for you, most of all, for that fabulous cologne you're wearing. Thank you very much. We are on the EMS World Tour together. We're hanging out in Dallas, Texas. This is Thanksgiving week, and every year during Thanksgiving week is the Texas EMS Conference, and it'll finish up on Wednesday. We'll jump into dinner on Thursday and get to watch the Cowboys hopefully go to 10-2. and two. But uh, we're here in Dallas, man, so it's great to finally – I think in all the shows, I think last week we talked about – 133 shows. It's only like the third or fourth show we've ever done in the same room. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's unusual, man. I get to read your expressions, and, and the, the eye rolling is a bit much. You know, the thing about it, too, is I, I think that this is a good ratio, too. So when we think about the show, you know, three or four over 130, I think this is a great ratio, and I'll see you probably next June if we can work that out. Yeah, that'll work. You know, so as we start to think about the show, again, we kind of joked and said, you know, you know, thankful for the fans. And, you know, but I got to say that as we think about a week of being thankful, we, we really are, uh, you know, it's it's a great honor that we get to come and chat with you and, and share our knowledge and hopefully we entertain. And Kelly, I mean, really, when we give thanks this week, uh, you know, who the heck are we that we get to have a show like this to talk to people and, and to do that? And it's something that I think we need to be thankful for. And, and for everybody that listens out there, um, thanks again for being a fan and uh, share it with your friends and let's uh, pick up some of those numbers and rate us on iTunes and uh, but it's a great week. Uh, this is my battery recharging every week you know I, I love to, to not only practice EMS but to talk about it now I'm thankful that I have a forum like uh, like this podcast to, to do it all so <laughs> I appreciate it thank you man. I will not be giving you a hug you know so one of the things that we wanted to talk about I mean there's so many things to talk about should we talk about being thankful for EMS should we talk about you know what Thanksgiving means you know one of the things I think that happened last week was really important was the 400 page report that came out from the Surgeon General that talked about the opioid epidemic in the United States and there are things that are happening now that really have to give us awareness on how we are dealing with the opi- opioid epidemic and you know, in EMS, Kelly, we see those those bumper stickers that said, you know, I just narcan your honor student. And one of the big things that came out of the 400-page report was that opioid addiction isn't a character flaw. It's really a, a challenge with mental illness. And when we think about addiction, addiction really comes from um, you know, the, the fact of being addicted, whether it's the painkillers, whether it's the food, whether it's to whatever it is, or gambling, or gambling, exactly, whatever it is. But I think we've got to now start taking a different approach when we think about pain management. Well, you know, the, the, the report kind of laid the blame for the current opioid epidemic, uh, or at least partial blame, uh, on our liberal use of pain meds in the emergency department and how we're, we're creating addicts with our aggressive treatment of pain. Uh, and you know the Joint Commission and, and the metrics by which hospitals are judged have been have been you know placing pain as as a priority, uh, and and many pundits think um, inappropriately so. You know the pain is the fifth vital sign. That whole thing and Joint Commission has backed off on that. And 
I think the problem with the opioid epidemic is, is kind of multifactorial. Yes, uh, it may be uh, one of the, the causes of, of increased levels of uh, numbers of addicts is, is our liberal use of, of pain medications in the emergency department. But there's also the fact that, you know, uh, they're cracking down on chronic pain management uh, clinics, pain management clinics and pain doctors and that sort of thing. And it is getting harder for these guys to get their their regular dose of, of meds for, for their chronic pain. And they're turning to street sources for heroin and such. So it's a thorny issue. Uh, I just don't know how we're going to deal with it. I don't think we need to roll back our, our thinking on, on aggressive treatment of pain. Perhaps uh, treat pain in the emergency department acutely and not prescribe uh, take-home antibiotics. Uh, that might be one, one uh, solution. But... Uh, I certainly think we, we need to be treating pain acutely both in the in EMS and in the emergency department. You know, I think you bring up a good point when you talk about how we've been managing pain. And I've been one to say that we don't manage pain very well uh, in the EMS world. And before we started recording, Kelly, we were talking about, you know, using uh, nitrous oxide, nitronox oh, in yeah. an ambulance. for. I think that would be a great way to treat pain. But one of the things that you brought up that I want to touch on, and I don't want to gloss over it, was when you were talking about that the hospitals really were incentivized to control their patients' pain. And you mm -hmm. talked about pain as the fifth vital sign. And as you know, hospitals are now getting reimbursement based on patient outcomes and patient satisfaction. So if you are a patient and they're not treating your pain, you're not going to give them a, well, uh, a good enough evaluation or a a, a good enough uh, patient satisfaction score, and that hospital is not going to get the reimbursement that they normally did. So what were they doing is they were prescribing opioids. They were mm -hmm. prescribing pain medications, and they were probably part of this problem because they're treating pain and they're given those medications. And when you think about an opioid, you know, an Oxycontin or a hydrocodone or, or whatever that is, it should only be for three or four days. Yeah. We're getting prescriptions for 21 days and, and you know, then people are going back for more and more. And you said it very well. We need to be able to treat acutely and then let, you know, pain clinics take uh -huh. care of things that are chronic. You know, well, but part of the problem is, is, is that our healthcare system is so fractured, um, uh, still a substantial number of our patients seek, uh, use the emergency department as their primary care. So it, it's, it's easy and a, and a simple uh, solution to say, uh, follow up with your primary care physician uh, in a few days for uh, a prescription for, for pain control meds. Uh, but if their only primary care physician is, is whoever happens to be on duty in the emergency department, that's, it's a moot point. I, I think you find, if you, if you poll emergency physicians, you'll find that most ER docs uh, and their hospital administrators are on opposite sides of this issue. Uh, the... the Administrators tend to tend to really focus on the patient satisfaction scores and 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 those types of metrics. But I think it falls under the um, just because it can be measured doesn't mean it should be measured uh, paradigm. And the ER doctors uh, believe that press gainy is a tool of the devil um, because it it judges doctors not for giving the patients what they need, but for giving the patients what they want and. And it may be the, the old paternalistic view of, of physician-patient relationship, but quite often there's a whole lot of stuff that we give the patients that they want that they don't necessarily need. And, and that thinking needs to be 
uh, curtailed somewhat. Um, yeah, I know, don't know, man. It I, just it's not a it's not Burger King. You can't always have it the way you want. You know what? I got to tell you what. I mean, people handle situations differently, and I I'll give you a little bit of personal. You know, I've got uh, gallbladder problems. We were kind of talking about it a bit ago. Well, you worked through the, the Oklahoma conference with a kidney stone. Yeah, but so the, you know, I'm getting man. I'm getting. No, I'm probably I'm going to probably. This is Thanksgiving <laughs> week, so I don't think I'll die this week. But I think it's close. So I'm going to have you give the eulogy when that happens, by the way. so But, you know, here's the thing. As I went into the hospital, and, and it, this burning pain, it was this dull, aching pain that was just burning in the right under my Xiphoid process. And I'm like, oh, don't tell me that this is the big one, Elizabeth. I'm coming to join you, honey. But I think one of the things that happened was is when I went to the hospital after about eight hours worth of uh, uh, discomfort, the first thing that I wanted was pain medication, and I said, I don't care what you got to do. You need to put something on board so you can make this pain go away, and I was in the hospital probably about 45 minutes before I finally got that injection that was able to uh, uh, take that discomfort away from me. Now, I got to tell you, I was not happy that I had to wait 45 minutes for that, so when you talk about it's not Burger King and you can't have it your way, I think that they've got to be able to, to give me an overall diagnosis give me an overall management plan, and tell me how we're going to take care of this problem in the long run, but initially make that pain go away as fast as you can. And, and with that said, we've got to change the thought process in our mind that if we pick somebody up that they're in pain, regardless of what it is, we've got to be the ones to give it. I don't care if you think they're drug-seeking. I don't care if you think that they're addicts. I don't care what it is. We've got to do our job according to the way that the protocols say that we have to do it. Now, I know you're going to disagree with that, but we've got to be able to think about how we take care of the patient in that moment and not use our personal bias to determine how we take care of that patient. Now, let me go in here. Let me go ahead and hear how you're going to come back on this. Well, I, I, I totally think you should have got pain medication quicker than 45 minutes into your ER stay. Um, we need to treat acute pain. Um, quickly and expeditiously and, and get our patient's pain level and comfort level manageable. Uh, I've always said that uh, if I had Granny fall in the parking lot of the emergency department and busted her hip, she would get fentanyl before I lifted her off the ground because the Dilaudid Ferry does not meet us at the doors of the ambulance bay. However, that's part and parcel of the problem. There's a hundred other people in that emergency department all clamoring for the same thing you were. And statistically speaking, about 75% of them don't need to be there in the first place. Uh, we, we've gotten this attitude in this country that more me medicine equals better medicine and that we should never, ever have to be uh, uncomfortable or, or inconvenienced. Uh, and the emergency department has been the default solution for that. And we've been feeding the bear too much. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think that uh, I welcome the trickle down of, of aggressive pain control to the uh, to EMS systems. Uh, I think it's a good thing that we're more aggressively treating pain. And, and quite frankly, a, a whole bunch of my colleagues are still back in the dark ages on pain management. It's one of the things I'm talking about this afternoon is pediatric sedation and analgesia and how we need to erase those barriers. But uh, the fact still remains is that a whole bunch of people um, are in emergency departments that shouldn't be there. Uh, seeking care that is expensive, fractured, no follow-up, uh, and, and it's an extremely inefficient way to manage the system. That's got to change, and pain, pain management part and parcel of that. And I think that one of the things when we think about this is we're kind of talking about pain management in 
you know, in generalization. But let's go ahead and switch the gear now and talk about EMS. And you being a field provider and, you know, being on the front lines uh, 24 hours every shift. When we think about how we manage pain for people who are calling 911, what is it that we need to think about as providers that you would give us as suggestions on how we we manage care for people and, and get out of that mindset that we shouldn't be using, we shouldn't be unlocking our narc, narc box to give people uh, the medication that they need? Well, well, first of all, you have to understand that pain is a subjective, uh, subjective criteria. You can't possibly gauge someone else's pain. Uh, what is a 10 for you might be a 2 for a more stoic person because we all know you're a wimp. Um, but you can't look at someone, and especially a chronic pain patient, and look at them and say, well, their vital signs are hardly even altered. They've reached a, a level of equilibration and, and compensation that where they don't get the, the sympathetic nervous system response uh, that most of us have with acute pain. And you can have someone, uh, a chronic pain patient, uh, with levels of pain that would have the rest of us curled up gibbering in the corner, and they've got normal blood pressure, normal normal heart rate, so on and so forth. So you can't say that, well, you know, they're, it's obvious they're not in pain they're, because they're, they're dealing with it so well. Uh, the other thing is, is, is we need to get out of this idea that we're feeding the bears because in EMS, the, the amount of pain medicine we give in the ambulance is nothing compared to what they would get in ER or anesthesiology. Yeah, uh, fentanyl is a, is a pale shadow of Dilaudid, uh, both in, in strength and, and uh, length of uh, duration of effects. We're not going to make an addict high by how much medication we give in the back of that ambulance. We don't carry enough to get a good high to a, to a legitimate addict. Uh, what we can do is, is take people at their word, give them pain medication should they request it, um, and you know, practice some circumspection on that issue. I, if I gave pain medication to everyone that said they had a 10 out of 10 pain, uh, two things would happen. I'd get a lot more quote-unquote random drug tests, uh, and I'd never have any drugs in my narc pouch. Um, but the the solution I've adopted is just to ask people, if I think they're in pain, I ask them, if, would you like some pain medication for it? And you'd be surprised how many people turn me down. You know, So generally, if I ask them if they want pain medication, they say yes. I give them an appropriate dose. Um, I also remind myself, I'm not paying for the fentanyl and the... And the uh, uh, ketamine and, and the... They're probably that, not paying for it either. Yeah, they're probably not paying for it either. But it's not coming out of my pocket. That's right. You know, and my supervisors, my medical director, okay with resupplying me uh, when I run out and I don't get any pushback on how aggressively I treat pain. So why, what is it in it for me to withhold pain medication from somebody who legitimately needs it other yeah. than, than uh, embracing my inner jerk? Yeah, and that's the thing. I think you bring up a good point right there is that you're using your, I guess, bravado or your ego to say, I'm not giving them pain medication mm -hmm. just for spite. Yeah, you got to prove it to me that you're not. Yeah, exactly, and this, that's not the way to do it. But, you know, one of the things I, I do want to switch gears with you because you are here at Texas EMS and you're giving a couple lectures and, you know, the lecture you're going to do today is on pediatric, uh, pediatric sedation, pediatric uh, pain management. And I, I think that's one of the things that is, is almost taboo is when we start to think about pain management or, or sedating a, a pediatric patient, what do you think is the biggest myth when it comes to, you know, giving sedation or pain management to a pediatric patient? Um, I think we're afraid that we'll depress a respiratory drive uh, and we're absolutely terrified of the dosing because, 
you know, anyone can say, oh, you know, give a 50 mics or 100 mics of fentanyl to an adult. Um, but then when you're dealing with pediatric patients, you know that it, almost all the dosing is weight-based. Uh, people are scared to death of the math. I've found people that, that uh, are unwilling to use our new, more aggressive pro pain protocols on adult patients because we're giving a weight-based dose. They say, oh, I, I, I like the good old days when you just gave 50 micrograms. Now you have to figure up a, a one microgram per kilogram dose, and it's just easier. I said, well, yeah, easier for us, but did it, did it do the patient any good? Um, so I think um, you know, choosing the right agent uh, and having confidence in your ability to manage any problems uh, that might arise and getting the dosing right is probably the biggest obstacles. And, and if we come up with some standardized dosing uh, regimens and and uh, and a tool to help us estimate the proper dose, like the hand-heavy system, um, that should erase a lot of those fears in people's minds. And, and, you know, there are drugs out there that are excellent at, at alleviating pain uh, that don't affect the respiratory drive. Ketamine, I'm looking at you, pal. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things that I think we've got to pay attention to is because, you know, we've got to be able to treat. i got to tell you, that was something, it wasn't that I wasn't comfortable giving pain medication to a pediatric patient, but it seems that, you know, a lot of those younger folks control their pain uh, and have better pain management than some of the adults that we run on. So now when we think about, you know, giving uh, pain management uh, or even sedation, because when you talk about ketamine, when you talk about atomidate, when you talk about those situations, where do you find yourself? What, what are the what are the right uh, uh, diagnosis that you're treating people or, or giving sedation to a pediatric patient? Well, you know, we use, uh, um, one of the things I talk about in my lecture is, is objective pain scales uh, for nonverbal patients and, and things like the flock scale and, the, and uh, visual analog scales like the the pieces of hurt scale, the poker chip scale, and that sort of thing. So there are ways, uh, besides the long baker faces, uh, to gauge uh, a patient's pain. I like having the freedom to, to alleviate a patient's pain, even when I can't quantify it. You know, how often do you run into patients that don't grasp that whole numeric scale or the visual analog scale, and they, they can only tell you, well, I'm hurting a lot. Well, one of the things our QI process keys on is if we have a patient who says they're in pain or we gave analgesics to them, we have to have a pain scale documented every single time for uh, with every set of vital signs. However, if we don't, um, the, the backup is to go look at our narrative because quite often if we can't document a pain scale, we'll just say, you know, a patient was unable to, to rate their pain, quantify their pain, uh, but stated, quote, it feels real bad. And they look at it that way, and and we don't get gigged for that sort of thing. So, what about I think some sort of objective pain scale, um, uh, uh, observational pain scale is probably one of the things that will you know help you gauge how much pain a, a patient's in, and, and and therefore how much analgesics you need. But then retrospectively, you need to also add, I would think that what the pain scale was after you gave the medication. Exactly. Well. Did it work? Yeah. And that's the thing that we, I don't know we do well enough. You know, one of the things that, you know, as an EMS leader that I would have challenges with is when we would QI charts, you know, one of the things that we looked at was hypoxia. We were very, very bad at how we treated hypoxia. If we showed up on scene and you were initially diagnosed as hypoxic, 
we were not treating those patients well when we got them to the hospital. So as we delved into that a little bit, we dove into that a little bit more, what we found was it wasn't that we weren't treating it. It was that we weren't documenting that we were making a difference. And it's the same thing in this case. How do we know? Again, we go back to this whole reimbursement thing. How do we know what we do really makes a difference if we're not documenting the right way that we're doing things? And I think that comes into the biggest challenge. So you kind of you, you went around that the the question about the the I really want to get into the diagnosis of specifically when do we consider sedation for a pediatric patient? I think if analgesia alone doesn't uh, doesn't do the job, you consider an adjunctive agent like uh, midazolam has its has its uses. It also has a lot of limitations. Uh, or you can do a larger dose of, of uh, ketamine, uh, a, a dissociative dose. Um, there is a risk of emergency reactions with uh, dissociative level doses of ketamine. Um, but we can always, you know, we can always call for, for other agents to, to uh, alleviate our, our, our patient's pain. And, and we, we often forget that pain is not a purely physical response. It's a psychological one as well. And anxiolysis is... is is a, a, an effective tool to use. If you can chill them out a little bit and care, make them care less about the pain level, um, uh, getting the, the actual physical pain under control is much easier. Yeah, so one thing, I think that's a really good point. Now, one of the things that you you brought up is I want to touch on because this is one of my pet peeves in EMS is we talk about Versed. We define that as conscious sedation. Mm-hmm. So when we learn how to use Versed, and whether you're in the ER or whether you're in the, the ambulance, it seems that we're using this drug wrong because we try to knock these people out. Yeah. Versed will put you out if you're using it at the higher, higher doses. But the term conscious sedation means they're awake. <laughs> That's right. You're not trying to knock them out. You're not trying to, you know, to, to, to put them under. You just want to make sure that they don't remember the pain that you're going to cause them while you're dealing with them. Whether you're going to, you know, cardiovert somebody, they're going to they're going to scream and they're going to yell and they're going to tell you not to do that again. But they're not going to remember it, and that's what it's all about. So if you're using Versed, don't think that you got to knock them down. Yeah. Just give them the medication, you don't have but to snow them, just just chill them a little bit. Yeah, but we're getting a little bit off topic here. Well, on your let me interject on your conscious sedation thing. A lot of people use word uh, a phrase like conscious sedation as if it's some sort of magic word and and well outside our, our scope um, it's not magic it's not uh, it's not science fiction uh, conscious sedation is just simply a protocol by which you know nurses uh, and emergency department staff uh, do use certain agents uh, to control their patients uh, pain and, and procedural sedation that sort of thing um, but it has certain guidelines and strictures that have to remain in place that are already in place for every single patient we administer pain medication to. We're talking about one-on-one bedside care and monitoring. You can't leave the room. You have to be cardiorespiratory monitoring, pulse oximetry, the whole nine yards. In other words, all the stuff that we already have hooked up to any patient that we're giving uh, analgesics to, we've already got the cardiac monitor on them, we've got a pulse ox on them, we've got the capnograph on them, and we're sitting 18 inches away. We're doing everything that would be done in conscious sedation already. Um, it's, it's not a magic word. Uh, it's, it's not some, some mythical thing that, that uh, 
uh, is a step above what we do. Um, when we're administering the analgesics and, the, and sedatives with it, we're performing conscious sedation. Yeah, I have to agree. You know, this is a really great topic. And, you know, one of the things that we hope that, uh, you know, it gives you a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of knowledge to think about. And, you know, when we do our job as EMS providers, we really have to take our uh, approach to this to the next level. And it's not about, you know, the, the bravado or the attitude of, I just narcan your honest student. Um, you know, you know, we've said it a long time. People are addicted um, and, and we have to, regardless of how they got there, we've got to be able to deal with the addiction mm-hmm. and, and help these people through it. This is an epidemic truly in the United States and a lot of parts of the world that uh, we, we've got an attitude that we've got to change. Our, our, our states, our government, our, our healthcare systems, they're not taking care of these people that have become addicted to these uh, opioids. Uh, but still, when it comes to pain management, we've got to be able to, to help our patients. We've got to be able to get them through the process of our transport and our treatment. And then when they get to the hospital system, it's our job to fix the problem. It's the doctor's job to fix the system. And uh, you know, then we wait for the next call. But uh, with that said, as we get up there in time, uh, Thanksgiving week, I want to thank everybody for joining us. And Kelly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for the partnership, thankful for the time that we share, and uh, get ready for next week. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, but you've heard what we thought about pain management. We'd like to hear what you think. So concerns, comments, questions, suggestions, let us know what you think about the topic at the show at ems1.com. As Chris reminded you in the beginning of the show, rate us on iTunes, tell your friends about it, and for myself and co-host Chris Civilero, the best-smelling paramedic in America, I'm Kelly Grayson. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you guys next week.